Nice. Okay. If we have not met yet, my name is Melanie. I'm married to Stuart, and together we lead this beautiful church we call Real Life. Um, We are in the middle of our holiday, so I'm sorry if I look a bit... I realise my T-shirt could have done with an iron and maybe my hair sorting out a bit, but I'm in holiday mode. I'm just relaxed and chilling. So um, I hope the message that you hear today will come with real authority and will impact your lives. What I ask you to do when I speak is you won't necessarily take copious notes on all the amazing things that I've managed to research and pull out of what the Bible says, but I'm hoping that what you will do is that God will speak into your heart and there will be things, there'll be words, there'll be lines, there'll be things that you think, oh no, that was just for me this morning. That was the Spirit speaking into my heart. So this is part of the series um, that is all about Jesus, and we're in the book of Mark. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can um, read along. I asked um, during the week, or the last couple of weeks, um, for you to tell me the songs that you love to sing that are all about Jesus. And oh, I'm really enjoyed. If you replied to me, if you Um, clicked reply on the email or you messaged me or I really enjoyed hearing the songs that you love to sing about Jesus. Um, I basically sang most of them as you sent them in because and some people sent me more than one so I had some great worship times. What I really enjoyed is the songs that you picked were so solid and so good and helped me just see how much you guys love Jesus, which was such a delight for my mummy heart, my church mummy heart, to just hear a group of people that just love Jesus. So these were some of the songs, if you wanted to know what people sent in. So King of Kings, so praise forever to the King. I will try not to sing these as we go along. Praise forever to the King of Kings. Worth it all. When I finally reach the end, I'll say, you're worth it all. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Saviour, glorious Lord. His name is higher than any other. I love that. Oh, so good. Amazing grace. Quite a few of you popped that one in. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Waymaker. This one, I, I really struggle to say this one and not sing this one, really. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Promises. I hadn't actually heard that one, so I went on and had a good listen. Maverick City, brilliant. You're the Lion of Judah, like a classic. Loved that. This is our God, the Servant King. Oh, if you haven't heard that one for a while, you need to go and have a listen to that. My Redeemer Lives. Oh, I had that up loud. Some of these songs, they just got me in the mood. I was like, yes. Uh, He is alive. Raise a shout for our God is alive. That came out a new day. Uh, We've had that on a lot in our house. Solid ground. Your love has turned me around. Set my feet on solid ground. Crown of heaven, that is lovely. If you haven't heard that one, crown of heaven, 
Uh, really beautiful by the Belonging Co. Firm foundation, tremble. This one, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. I mean, it's like just brilliant songs to be belting out truth. Holy and anointed one. Oh, love that. I hung out in that one for quite a while. I speak Jesus. I've been listening to that the last couple of weeks. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Oh, I can thoroughly recommend that worship song, I Speak Jesus, getting it on and just speaking him wherever you are. There's another in the fire standing next to me. Oh, this just makes me want to stop. I just want to say, Dan, would you just come back and we'll just go through the list and just worship, shall we? Um, and I get to total praise. I've not heard that one before either. That was recommended by a friend. Brilliant. Great to just get yourself Get your soul ready. Get your heart ready to just see him and worship. Nearer my God to thee. Oh, just gorgeous songs. By the grace of God, before the throne of God above. I think that song you could get saved in over and over again. His name is Jesus. Yeah, it's so good. The God who listens. So many beautiful songs that are all about him. And I chuck my own one in, which is, at the moment, I just love all hail King Jesus. And the line that I literally, like, makes the hairs on my arms just stand on end says, there was a moment when the sky lit up, a flash of light was breaking through. When all was lost, he crossed eternity. The king of life was on the move. And I want us to hold all of this about Jesus while we read the bit in Mark. I want us with one hand to hold that he's the way maker, miracle worker, that he's the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. I want us to hold that he's the one who speaks and the earth trembles. I want us to hold that he's the king of all kings. This is our God, the servant king. I want us to hold that while we read it. I also want us, when we've read the scripture, to take communion together. And if you're listening online, I want you to do that as well. I want you to grab some bread and grab some wine. If you don't have that, I want you to get some Ribena or some grape juice and some bread or some cereal or something, as I want us to just pause for a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. So where I'm reading from is Mark 15, and it's 16 to 32. It says this, the soldiers took Jesus to the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and they called out the entire regiment. So I want you to hold what you know about him and I want you to listen to what the scripture says. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and they put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted all hail the king of the Jews. They struck him on the head with a reed, spat on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, and I want you to hold who he is, so the king of all kings, when they were tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe, put on his own clothes again 
and they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Well, Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided up his clothes and they threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was about nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. And I want you to hold what you know about him. I want you to hold it tight. What you know, what the songs say, what our worship says, what's good. I want you to hold it. A sign announced this charge against him and it read, the king of the Jews. There were two revolutionaries who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. Hold what you know about him. Creator of the universe, sustainer of the world, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with him ridiculed him. I would love us to pause for a moment and take communion. The reason I'm doing it now is because I want us to feel the weight of what he did that day. What he did for us in our place because we were not able to. And I want us to take the bread and wine and with a very thankful heart, say thank you, Jesus. If you're not a believer in the room, you do not need to eat this meal. This meal is a meal for believers. This meal is one that recognises that he died for us. That he went through all of that to rescue a people and we're that people. If you're not that people yet, please don't worry. I will make sure there is an opportunity for you to put yourself right with God, to come home. You could do it right now if you wanted to. You can do it taking bread and wine. You can say, thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place for all my wrong. I want to come home. I want to follow you. I want to be right with God. So please take your bread, take your wine. If you're listening online, do likewise. And say thank you to Jesus. I don't know how he stayed there. I don't know how he put up with that. I don't know how he did that. What I do know is he did that for a people. And I'm part of that people. So I'll forever be grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
We take bread and wine in all kinds of ways. We take it quietly and reflectively. We take it with tears in our eyes. We take it as a raucous meal round the table. We take it on our own with others in our homes, in larger gatherings. We take it to remember him and all that he did for us. That bit in Mark is such an uncomfortable read. There are bits in there, I'm sure, that just make you just shudder. I hate the bit where it says they spat on him. Literally, just hate it. I read it, it's an uncomfortable read. Makes me feel uncomfortable inside. Makes me feel so aware of what Jesus did. When I said to Stu, I'm really happy to preach this um, this Sunday, um, I said, uh, because we're in a different space, um, I'm not sure what the passage is, but I'll probably keep the kids in and we'll do like an all-age service. And I looked at passage, I was like, well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll do kids' work after all. It's an uncomfortable read. It's got some things in it that, that just make us just go, oh, and also cause us to be in total awe of a saviour that would remain silent and put up with that. It's just unbelievable. I just want to pull out a few things and then I want to stir us on what a passage like this is meant to produce in our lives. So he was abandoned by everybody at this point. So when he comes before the council, he is on his own, left by all of his disciples, all of the people following him. He's been surrounded by crowds, disciples, He's now on his own abandoned. When I was prepping this, I thought, do you know what? God himself knows exactly what it's like to feel abandoned. Knows exactly what it's like to be on his own. Knows exactly what it's like to have to face a situation with just him and his God. Knows exactly what it's like to feel a darkness that none of us will ever really have to experience, but we will come close to. We will have times when we feel abandoned, times when we are abandoned, times when we have to face things with just us and our God, times when we're in darkness. God knows exactly what it's like, but what we can't do is look at this story and judge those people and think that we would have done any different. What we can't do is look at it and go, gosh, how could they? How could they do that? Did they not know when actually we are lawless and we have spent our lives rejecting God. We've spent our lives turning away from him. We even, when we know him, abandon him. Times, like for Peter, when they say, weren't you the one with him? Aren't you, aren't you one of his? And he goes, nah, that's not me. No, 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 no. And there are times when we're like that. So we can't read a story like that and, abandon, and feel like, oh, how terrible of them. We have to put ourselves in the story. I think actually we, at times have abandoned God. We at times have turned away. We at times have deserted the truth. He's never deserted us, never abandoned us, but we at times have. We at times are like the people in the story. That, that sometimes feels uncomfortable. I had to get to a place when I was reading this where I just repented and said to God, do you know what? There have been times where I have abandoned you. I have turned and fled. I have turned my face away. I felt like it was too hard. Or someone's asked me a question and I've really fluffed it because I just thought if I say what I really think, they're not going to like me. They're going to judge me. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be awkward. This is going to be uncomfortable. 
So he was abandoned. It says in the story that the entire regiment came out with the sole purpose of mocking him, humiliating him, even calling him the king of the Jews. Their sole purpose was to ridicule him, to dress him up like he was some kind of puppet, to put him on display in a robe with a crown on his head, to laugh at him, to spit on him, to beat him there. Their whole aim was to mock him in their mock worship of him. It was their whole purpose, their whole point. So they dressed him up, they saluted him and taunted him, they hit him, spat on him, mocked him. And then they led him away to be crucified. The question I find myself asking through this whole story is, how did he stay quiet? How did he not, when he sustains every breath they take, not smite the whole lot? How did he remain silent? And silence is so powerful. There's plenty of people that speak. I mean, look at social media. There's plenty that we have to say that we've got to. Silence is so powerful. In his silence, he subjected himself to all of their mockery. In his silence, he allowed them to carry out the dressing up, the undressing, the dressing up, the beatings. In his silence, he allowed it all to play out. Why? Because he knew what was coming. He knew what he was doing. How did he resist? How did he not flip out? How did he not, in his anger, end it? How did he not call down legions of angels and the heavenly host? How did he not call on his own father and say, end this now? Isaiah 50 verse 6 says this, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and from spitting. How did he do that? Because he knew what was coming. He knew what he was on earth for. He understood wholeheartedly what the plan was How when he had all authority, all power? How when he actually was king of the Jews? Did he stand there and allow them to mock him with that title? Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2 says this, Therefore since we, that's us, are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set out for us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated at a place of honour on God's throne. He knows He knows at that point when they mock him, when their sole aim is to humiliate him and hurt him, he knows what's coming. He knows the cross is coming and he knows the defeat of sin and death is coming. 
He knows that there will be a restoration of creation. He knows that what he's living for is something bigger than the moment that he's in. And some of you need to hear that now, today. Some of you need to hear that what you are living for is bigger than the moment you are in now. Than whatever suffering, whatever darkness, whatever pain, whatever mockery, whatever situation you are experiencing, what you are living for is bigger than what you are in now. He's so incredibly glorious in his suffering. He's so incredibly godlike in his suffering. He's so humble, so beautiful, even the moment where he physically cannot carry his cross because he has been subject to such a terrible beating that he physically, as a man, can't carry the cross. It is too heavy for him. Even in that, his humility as God is seen in that someone is asked to help carry the cross, the cross that has the saviour on it, nailed to it, who will defeat sin and death, requires help from a man in the crowd to get to the place where he can do what God has asked him to do. There's so many things at work here in this story when you dive into it. There's dice rolling, there's the wine that's offered, there's the dividing up of clothes that are all fulfilling Old Testament promises and prophecies. All the things that God has said would happen when the Saviour came is playing out and Jesus is silent among it, letting it play out because he knows what's coming because he knows the end of the story, because he knows where all of this leads. The horror story that's playing out before us right now that we read in our Bibles and that we just think, oh my gosh, he knows revelation. He knows that there will be a day where every knee will bow and not in mock worship, not hailing him as king of the Jews, but saying, all hail King Jesus. So if we don't sing that song in heaven, I don't know what we're going to sing. All hail King Jesus. He knows a day is coming where he'll wear a crown, where he'll have a robe wrapped around him. He knows all of this horror story that's playing out over and over again, where his body is being battered and beaten, is all part of the bigger story, is all part of the bigger picture. He knows. Because he carries the Father's heart and eternity with him wherever he goes. He knows. I find it interesting that even in their mockery, they worship him. So they can't, I feel like humanity can't help themselves but proclaim his name and worship him, even in their mockery. So lately it's been really rubbing against me how many times people are allowed to say, oh God, or oh my God, on TV, on the radio, on social media, like everywhere. And increasingly, I'm becoming to the point where I I physically flinch. I'm becoming more and more distressed by it because I know who they're talking about. I also just think there ought to be an awe and reverence of God that we don't take his name in vain. But actually, what I also know is humanity can't help themselves. They're not going, they're not, they're not calling on other gods. They're not going, oh, Muhammad, or oh, they're, they're, they're saying, oh, Jesus. I know that humanity can't help themselves. 
I know they can't help but proclaim his name. I know they can't help but speak Jesus. Even if it's in mockery, even if it's in blasphemy, can't help themselves. Because actually, we were designed to know and love him. We were designed to speak his name. We were designed to proclaim him and hail him as king of kings. It's a design fault. That, that, that's what exists within us. There's something in us that has to worship something, be it money, be it football, be it outdoors, be it sport, be it whatever. We have to worship because we're pre-designed, we're pre-programmed for that. We're pre-programmed to speak out the name of God. So lately I've just been saying whenever I hear it, it's made me pray and go, let them speak that out, not in mock worship. Let them speak it out in real worship. Let them love him and speak his name like they love him. Let us do that. Let us be those that, that constantly are speaking the name of Jesus, are proclaiming God's name. So he knows. He knows what's coming. And my question for you this morning is, do you? In all of what played out in Jesus' story, he knew the end. And he knew the end end. He knew that he would come again in glory. He knew that when he comes again, there will be no one that will doubt who he is. He knows that the trumpet will sound. He knows that all of heaven will rush in at that point. That the hosts of heaven will be there, bank upon bank upon bank, just singing, proclaiming, blowing trumpets. He knows that the graves will open and the dead will rise and this glorious thing will play out so differently. He knows that's coming. And it's what holds him on the cross and helps him endure that which is awful in order to get to that which is glorious. It's why we should always worship him. It's why he's always worthy. It's why whenever we sing songs that are all about us, fortunately we don't sing those here, but whenever I hear worship songs that are all about us, I just want them out. I just want them away from me. Because actually, what when we see Jesus, the only fitting right response is that we fall down on our knees and we worship him. And we get ourselves out of the way. We just push that out and we focus on him. So let me suggest a few things for us to help us. I want to suggest, firstly, as an aside, don't shy away from reading uncomfortable things in the Bible, even if that's culturally. If the Bible tells you stuff that you find uncomfortable, press in on it, lean in on it, research it, get yourself to a place where you can submit to it and come under its authority. This, this passage for me, like there's bits in it that are uncomfortable. I really don't like bits of it. But leaning into it, researching it, allowing God to work on my heart in it has been so good for me. There are other passages where God says stuff that culturally are uncomfortable in this day and in our age. To be honest, they've always been. There's nothing new under the sun. What we face now in a gender crisis is not new been around since the beginning it's just got different names now and it's wrapped up differently lean in on it I really felt that when I was researching this lean in on the stuff that makes you uncomfortable and get yourself to a place where you can submit to it and you can get some help talk to people about it but don't shy away it's why Stuart will preach through books 
in, in our church so that we don't hide away from the bits we find uncomfortable and just cherry pick the bits we like. I thoroughly recommend reading books in the Bible because then you have to face everything it says rather than all your favourite bits. So let me suggest some things. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. One of the ways for us as a people is that we worship. I know it's obvious and I feel like I say this every time I speak. Worship is our way. It is our way to get our hearts right before God, have us standing in the right place, him standing in the right place. We're supposed to sing, speak, proclaim. So whether your voice is beautiful or not doesn't really matter. The people of God are a singing people. We are supposed to worship him and fill our homes with it, cars with it, workplaces, schools, colleges. We're supposed to fill our world with the worship of God and then the end comes. And then in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to worship a lot again. Worship is our way. And I would say don't make a mockery out of it. Like worship can turn into a bit of a show it can be well I don't like the songs don't like the lights don't like what they did there don't like that arrangement or let me see if I can make it flashier don't make a mockery out of worship don't be like those who reduce Jesus down to well let's dress him up and laugh at him make sure your worship is pure and beautiful make sure that it proclaims him check the songs you sing check your heart Make sure that in corporate times of worship, you are one who is hailing King Jesus, not hailing yourself or anyone else, not judging whether I like the song out of 10, whether I enjoyed the worship experience. Let's not be those that make a mockery out of worship. Let's be those who actually hail the King of all kings. If the song talks about Jesus, then it's all good. If it proclaims him, if it holds him up, if it's in line with what the Bible says. The elders here are brilliant at checking the content of the songs we sing, making sure as daddies that our diet is good for us. We sing songs that are about him to honour him and worship him because that's what worship is all about. So I would say shout Jesus wherever you are. Get worship up loud in your homes. Teach your kids it. Show them what it means to worship through hard times, to worship through every season, every situation. Next, make use of your church. I'm going to say a couple of uncomfortable things that are going to make you feel a bit uncomfortable um, in this one, okay? So Tim Keller, who's recently died, um, has written some superb books and preached some superb sermons. And I'm just going to read you one of his quotes. He says this, The glory of God is available to you in the church in a way that it is not available to you anywhere else. I firmly believe that. The glory of God is available to you in the church in a way that is not available anywhere else. You can't do this at home on your own. Do it round a TV screen. It's why in lockdown we really struggled. Because actually the people of God are supposed to be together. And when the people of God are together, there is something about the presence of God that is tangible and different. It isn't the same as two of you sitting in your sitting room. When the church gathers, God shows up in a different measure, in a different way. There is no more important means of discipleship than deep involvement in the life of the church. 
This is not a club where you pay your way and you turn up whenever you feel like it. The church is your place and your home. It is where you are supposed to be week in, week out, whether you love everybody sitting around you or not. You know, sometimes my family, I adore my family. I think they are amazing. Sometimes I want to throw them out of the window. You know, I'm just, I'm being real. Sometimes, you know, I just think, seriously, dudes? I I live in a house with all boys. Like, sometimes I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I have to get out. You know, we love, I love my family. Being around them is good for me and it helps me grow, helps me develop, deals with selfishness, like just deals with me. But sometimes being around them is uncomfortable. But actually they're mine. So, and it's where I'm supposed to be. This is not a club where you pay your way. This is something you belong to, you're a part of. If there's something wrong with the church, get involved in it and fix it. Stop standing outside of it, shouting at it. It's yours. It's a silly thing to do to say, well, what is the church doing about this? What were they, what, what were they thinking? It's you. You're part of it. When God says his church is his family, his body, his bride, he means you. We're not to be outside looking in, throwing rocks. We're to be inside building it, helping make it work. It's your home and it's your base. Don't make a mockery out of it. So I felt this warning as I was prepping this. In this nation, there has been a massive drop in church attendance out the back of the pandemic. It's a natural... We respond to trauma in loads of different ways. Some people respond to trauma in in basically becoming very self-reliant and others hide away. That has had a massive effect on church. What you found coming out of the pandemic is either you've got people hiding away still or you've got people who've become very self-reliant. So I will sort this out. I will make it better. I will build a good life for myself. Both those things don't gel well with church. And so church attendance has taken a hit. There have been some people who have not made it back out of lockdown. They're still in lockdown. They have not made it back into local churches. So in our nation, not true of other nations, I do have to say, but in our nation, there is a growing trend of less attendance in church, even in our own church. So we track attendance here. don't know if you know that, but we do because it's one of the best ways we can look after you. We don't do it because we want to catch you out, or we do it because we think, oh, that person's been missing for four weeks. What's going on? Can we get a life group leader in there? Can we get someone in to help? Have they been offended, wounded? Are they sick at home? What's happening? Attendance is one of the ways we, we track and we make sure our family's okay. So even us as a local church have seen a decline in the amount of times people come to church since lockdown. So it has had an effect on even us as a people. What I want to say to you is we need one another. We need one another to help grow in our love and worship of Jesus. True discipleship happens in this space, in this place. When we're rubbing shoulders with each other, when we annoy each other, when we help one another, when we harm one another, true discipleship happens in this place. And it is, in case you didn't know what Jesus is coming back for. He isn't coming back for your homes or your jobs or your success that you've built up. He is coming back for the church. 
He's not coming back for the fancy clothes you wear. He's not coming back for all your experiences, for all the traveling that you've done, for all the holidays that you've taken, for all the amazing activities you've done. He is coming back for a bride. He is coming back for his church. He's coming back for us. And he's hopefully coming back for us with way more people in it. He's coming back for us and other real life churches He's coming back for us as catalysts and us as new frontiers and us as churches. He's coming back for the Methodists and the Catholics and the church. He's coming back for all of us. He's coming back for a bride. And on that day when you show him all your treasures and go, but look what I made, look what I amassed. Those things will literally burn away and reduce down to nothing. He's coming back for this. He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a people who have discipled one another, walked alongside one another and have grown. He's coming back for a home because he's a daddy. He's coming back for a people. He's coming back for us. So what I want to say in this season where it is time to grow up is we need to grow up in what it means to be part of a family that don't make a mockery out of what God has said, but believe it and live it. Understand that we're the bride, we're the temple. If people want to know God, they need to come here. And we need to be confident that this is the place where they will meet him. They will come into contact with Christians who know him and love him and are kind and are decent and sometimes screw up. And we fix that and sort that out who are in pain and darkness, but worship their way through it. He's coming back for this. So I felt when I prepped this, I felt like God said, don't make a mockery out of my church. And I definitely surrendered a few things in that moment. thought, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, Holy Spirit. Next, find him in your darkness. This is another Tim Keller quote. Sorry about this. It's because I've got a few of them. So when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the ultimate darkness was coming down on him and he knew it was coming, he didn't abandon you. He died for you. If Jesus didn't abandon you in his darkness, the ultimate darkness, why would he abandon you now in yours? If he didn't abandon you in his darkness, the ultimate darkness, so at the point of death, when it was all of heaven turned their face away and he held you at that point in his darkness... He didn't abandon you. Why would he abandon you now in yours? In your darkness, he's there. And he's there if he's the only person. He's there if all your friends have done a runner, if everybody else finds your darkness, your mess, your pain too much. He is there. He's there because he knows the ultimate darkness. So he's been there already. It's a path that he's traveled. It's a place that he knows better than anyone else. If you want to know how to be totally human, look at Jesus. In his absolute darkness, he's crying out to God. Even when he feels abandoned, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his darkness, he's crying out to the one who can be found, to the one who was 
and is and is to come. He is in every place, in every situation, in every bit of pain. He knows every patch of darkness and he stands in it. He might not magic you out of it, but he'll certainly walk you through it. He'll certainly help you face whatever's going on. He will never abandon you. And the warning I felt here was, in tough times, it reveals who we really are. And that's the reality. If you squeeze someone hard, what pops out is what's really going on. In tough times, I think we want to be those that call on Jesus. And if you've not managed to do that in tough times and you've screwed up and you think to yourself, oh man, just get before Jesus. It's the same answer. Just fall on your knees before him. He's there, ready to meet with you. I read some brilliant stuff in Thessalonians about the last days, but one of the things that is truly clear is that believers will be tried and tested again and again. And if you think that your life is hard now, there is bound to be harder trials ahead because that's something that Scripture promises us. Middle-class land promises you happiness. Scripture promises you trials and hardships. It's good this, bank holiday. Like This is cheery, isn't it? But what I do know is you can find Jesus in it all. And then lastly, the same power that held Jesus as they mocked him, spat on him, beat him, dressed him up, ridiculed him until they had no ridicule left in them, till they'd run out of mock, till they'd run out of mockery, till they'd run out of jokes, till they'd run out of slurs, till they'd run out of totally humiliating him. What held him there, what held him on the cross, the same spirit is available to us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. The same power that held him in silence as as a horror story plays out. The same power lives in me. And he's called to be the counsellor and the helper. Trouble is, most of us think that we've got it ourselves. Most of us, oh, real life kids, you're awesome. Look at how quietly you're walking through. Thank you so much. You really are a gift, a priority and a blessing, aren't you? Yep, I like your style. Yep, thank you very much. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And it's time for us, through a life church, to get good at being filled with the Holy Spirit and living full of the Holy Spirit. You don't have what it takes. I'm sorry if this this morning feels like, oh my gosh, I'm being beaten up as well. You don't have what it takes. You are not enough. To live how God wants you to live on the earth, you don't have what it takes. To do the things that he has asked you to do, you are not enough. I'm sorry if this cuts against all your kind of things that you say to yourself in the morning when you look in the mirror. You are not enough. You do not have what it takes. The one who does is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is available to you to enable you to live in the same power that raised Christ from the dead. What we need to do is be a people that recognize that and call on him. And we make a mockery of the Holy Spirit when we walk around as if we can do it on our own, as if we can do it in our own strength. And to be fair, I think God will allow us to do that.
I think he will watch and wait until we stumble and fall for the 80 millionth time and on our knees cry out to him. He will stay silent, he will stay still, and he will let stories play out until we bow the knee and proclaim him as king of all kings. So I want to encourage you, Real Life Church, to speak the name of Jesus, to get wholeheartedly involved in a local church, even if it's not this one, I don't care. Be a part of a local church because it's what God is coming back for. It's, to be honest, what he cares about on the earth. It's the castle he wants to build. It's the home he wants investing in. It is where he wants your money, your treasure, your time. It's where he wants all of it. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, we get paid. So, you know, if you give us your money, we'll, we'll get, you know, maybe a pay rise next year. I'm not saying it for that. I'm saying because scripture is clear. The house we are supposed to build is his house. The place we are supposed to put our treasures is his house. The thing we are supposed to invest in the most and spend the most amount of time in is his house. The way we love the lost the best is by building this house and inviting them in to be a part of it. So be a part of a house of worship. Build it. Find him in your darkness and be full of the Holy Spirit. You are not enough in and of yourself, but full of the Holy Spirit. Ordinary men and women like you and me will change the world that we are a part of. That's how the church was birthed. That's how we will live on the earth. Full of the Holy Spirit as ordinary men and women doing and seeing extraordinary things because we serve a God whose title is King of all kings. So let's stand, let's worship him, let's remember in our worship to meet the one we're talking about. Amen.